good to be in church this morning. If this is your first time, my name's Adam. We're pumped that you chose to spend part of your Sunday morning with us, especially on a really important Sunday like today. No? Okay, whatever. Whatever. The Browns played today, guys. Not the Eagles, by the way. Who let him up here? All right. So... I know we already prayed. Am I allowed to pray again? I'm allowed. I'm the pastor. I can do what I want. Pray. Jesus, uh, man, it feels like every Sunday, right before I come up here, devil is whispering stuff in my ear uh, like I don't belong here. And uh, I know I'm not the only one who hears that, Lord, so I just pray for everybody sitting here right now who has that same whisper, uh, that your truth would speak louder and that they would listen to your voice because you want us in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, uh, we did a series a couple of months ago called Paradox, Finding Truth and Tension. You, I'm sure you remember it, you have extensive notes. Uh, so the idea was that we were gonna look at the paradoxes that are in uh, the Bible, and there's a bunch of them now. Uh, you probably know that Every time we do a series, there's stuff that like doesn't make the cut. So today, I'm gonna pull something off the editing room floor. We're gonna talk about a paradox today. Uh, a paradox today, it actually kind of belongs in this series, not in that series. So um, to remind you, a paradox is something uh, that seems uh, wrong, seems maybe even logically impossible, but contains a deep truth. Usually the paradoxes are, like it kind of says the opposite of what you would think it would say, and you're looking at it going, really, what? And uh, if you look long enough, though, you'll find a deep truth. Uh, now, there are non-spiritual paradoxes. You know this. So I'm going to say something I won't. Um, in a couple months, it's going to get colder. I just want you to know. And there's going to be some stuff that falls from the sky that's cold. And when you're driving, your car could, your, your back end could, could slide out, right? So uh, a paradoxical truth is you, you need to turn into the skid, right? You, we're all from Ohio, we know this, right? You gotta turn into the skid. But that doesn't sound right and it doesn't feel right. You know what I'm like? So if your back end's going towards the guardrail, your instinct is to not turn into the guardrail, right? Like that's, that, that doesn't seem like, but I wanna go away from the guardrail, but if you turn away from the guardrail, you're gonna spin and you're gonna hit everything and the guardrail. Uh, so it's a paradox. You're supposed to steer into the skid. It sounds wrong, it feels wrong, but it's actually true. Uh, now, the paradoxes of the Bible are a little different and a little deeper, and uh, there's a reason for that. So as Christians, we believe in two worlds, two worlds. If you're not familiar, if you're not a Christian, uh, this is important. So we actually believe in a physical world and a spiritual world, uh, both. And uh, so the physical world, you know, that's just that's where we live, right? You know, where you take your kids to softball, eat McDonald's french fries, watch Marvel movies, that's the physical world. And for many people, that's all there is, right? It's just this, this physical world. But, but for the Christian, that's just one. And then there's the, the spiritual world. And we believe that the spiritual world is just as real, actually more real than this one. And, and really important, that these two worlds uh, are not completely separate, but they interact in ways that we don't fully understand. Um, and it's a two-way street. What happens in the physical somehow affects things in the spiritual, and what happens in the spiritual affects things in the physical. This is really important. And what I believe is a lot of times the paradoxes that we find in the Bible kind of sit on the edge of these two worlds. 
the paradoxes kind of explain how these two things interact with each other. Um, so, and I really believe, uh, I guess the most important thing about it, if you're looking at paradox, so sometimes you read in the Bible and you read something, you go, wow, that doesn't make any sense, kind of like steer into the skid. You're like, what does this mean? Um, if you ever hit something like that, I guess what I want you to imagine is God kind of uh, giving you a behind-the-scenes look. So, hey, you live in the physical. God kind of comes up and goes, hey, um, he's going to pull the curtain back and go, hey, come here, come here. I want to sh- show you how that thing you did in the, in the physical, how that actually affects things in the spiritual. So that's what I want you to imagine. Every time you see something that doesn't make fully sense, you just, just imagine God being like, hey, 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 VIP pass. Check this out. What you just did, this is what happens in the spiritual. Really important uh, idea to hold in mind. Now, to, to give you... Um, Kind of an example, the, the most important thing to ever happen was a paradox, right? Jesus' death on the cross. He was wrongly accused and convicted, uh, beaten, mocked, brutally and savagely killed. This is a bad thing, right? That's, that's a horrible thing. Worst thing to ever happen. God came to earth and we killed him. <laughs> but what's weird is like the day he died, we call it Good Friday. Good Friday. Good. How can a man who is perfectly innocent, <laughs> bleeding out, suffocating to death on a piece of wood, how can that be good? If this physical world is all that there is, then it's not, right? It's definitely, definitely not. But we believe that while it was the worst thing to ever happen in the physical, it was the best thing to ever happen in the spiritual. That while Jesus was bleeding out and suffocating in the physical, he was paying for the sins of the world in the spiritual. That while he suffered in the physical, he was redeeming in the spiritual. That when he faced his greatest defeat in the physical, he was winning his greatest victory in the spiritual. That in his death, he snatched the keys of hell and gave us a way to heaven. So Jesus' death is like the worst, best thing to ever happen, right? A a, a paradox. You look at that and you go, oh, it's horrible, but it's also amazing. So again, when you see these kind of things in the Bible, you need to lean in. Don't don't back away from that because if you believe there are two worlds, if you believe there is a physical and a spiritual, paradox are kind of helping us see how these two worlds interact. So we're going to look at a paradox today. Uh, And you've heard it before. I guarantee you've heard this paradox before. And I would bet most of you have even said it. You've said it. Um, So it's Acts chapter 20, verse 35, here it is. You should remember, should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. This is the thing you say to your kids on Christmas when they've opened all their presents and they have nothing left and they're sulking and you go, but, but you get to give this. Like, it's better to give than to receive, right? You say that, they don't believe you. And you don't believe you, right, sometimes, especially not for them. And it, it's, a, it's a hard thing, right? Uh, it's better to give than to receive. And, and here it is, right here in the Bible. The apostle Paul is the one saying this. He's actually telling some church leaders from the city of Ephesus. Uh, and, and it's interesting because this saying is more blessed to give than receive. Uh, it's actually not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's not in the Gospels anywhere. Uh, so uh, many scholars believe that this was like an oral tradition that, that had been passed down in the early church and it was a really well-known teaching of Jesus uh, because of the way Paul talks about it here. He's like, hey, you remember that, right? He didn't say this is a new thing. He said, hey, you already know it, but you need to remember it, which is always important, right? We need to kind of, that, that's a true thing for us too. We may know things, but we need to be reminded of them. We need to like, be brought into the front of our mind. So Paul is saying, hey, remember that thing that Jesus said? That's important. It's more blessed to give 
than it is to receive. So I just want to point out, I just want to point out, let's be real, it sounds wrong. Sounds wrong. Ask a kid. Again, the kids are truth to the ultimate truth tellers, right? Ask a kid, is it better to get something or give something? They're going to instinctively tell you it's better to get something, right? Unless you've told them different. If you're a good Christian parent, you've been teaching them, they may know this verse. But here's the deal. They're going to say the right answer, but they're still going to doubt it. You know how I know? Because I was a church kid, okay? And I still preferred my birthday over my sister's birthday. Don't care, right? And, and I don't know if I've told you this before, but both my sisters were born four years apart on the same day. <sighs> yeah. One's older, one's younger. They were both born on, on July 2nd. So there they are, you know, having two separate cakes. Everybody's singing to them, giving them presents. And here's me off in the corner, like a poor little orphan. Sad. You should feel bad for me. Um, I had nothing. They had everything. And I'll tell you, it didn't feel, this verse didn't feel real. It didn't. I wasn't all like, oh, I can't wait to give you guys some presents. Here you go. No, I was sad. I was sad. It felt uh, different. Some of you are like psycho. And I was like, that's what's wrong with them. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so it doesn't seem to, let's just, let's just be honest about this. It doesn't seem true. Even more than that, the word blessed, uh, like implies you get something, right? So it's, it's as if Jesus is saying, Hey, to get, you need to give, Hey, to get, you need to give, which again, is just on the surface. It sounds almost logically impossible. Um, but here's the crazy part. This is not the only place that this paradox is taught. I didn't do like a scholarly study or anything, but just from a cursory glance, I feel like this paradox might be the most often repeated paradox in the Bible. Let me just give you a couple. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says this, uh, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and you'll lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh themselves will uh, themselves, or those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So give your way to wealth. Give your way to wealth. Keep your stuff, lose your stuff. Right? You, the tighter you wrap your fingers around, the faster it's going to go away from you. The generous will prosper. Refresh others and you yourselves will be refreshed. It carries the idea of like watering a plant. You water a plant and, and you as a plant will be watered as well. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 says this, send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you. That speaks to you on a spiritual level there, doesn't it? <laughs> Like take a bag of flour and throw it into the ocean? Like, what is that? Um, so back then, you know, if you had a bunch of grain, you could put it on a ship, send it away to be sold in a far off city, and then it would come back with your profit. Um, but it's a little more than that. If you look at the message ver version of this verse, it actually says this, be generous, invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. That's interesting. So it's almost, it, the, the idea is that somehow generosity is an investment. It's an investment. And the guy who wrote this, just so you know, Ecclesiastes, his name was Solomon. He was the wisest and richest man to ever live. So if he gives you a stock tip, you should listen. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like Warren Buffett, like one of those guys, like, you give them your ear when they say, hey, this is a hot tip, by the way. So, so you know, you could make money in the stock market. Maybe some of you have that. Maybe you're a little nervous right now because the next couple of months could be wild, right? We don't know. We don't know what is going to happen. But what Solomon is saying here is, hey, a safe investment is generosity. Because in some way, when you send that out, something's going to come back. And again, uh, I just remember as you, as you look at these verses, this is God going, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Generosity over here in the physical, this is what it does in the spiritual. Every time you see verses like this, it's God, it's God giving you that little glimpse into the spiritual of how your physical acts uh, matter over here. Luke 6.38, Jesus himself speaking says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's Jesus talking. And some of you just, just seem like, that's the prosperity gospel. No, that's a verse that Jesus said. That's, that's all I did is read the Bible. He said, hey, two, he said two things. Number one, he said, whatever you get back is going to be bigger than whatever you gave away, right? He just said that. It's almost like I, I, I imagined like using a container to give away and, and being like this. And Jesus is like, let me see that. And he takes the container and he just pours stuff in there, pats it down, pours it in, pats it down. Then he hands it back to you. And you're like, this is awesome. And then he keeps pouring and you're like trying to catch everything. Like that's... The implication here that you're giving, uh, he's going to bless you over and above. And then secondly, he said it would be proportional, right? The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Smaller container, smaller amount. That's a wild verse. Last one, Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the heavens or oh, the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Very similar, right? He's saying, hey, windows of heaven are going to open. You give. The windows of heaven are going to open. But my favorite part of this verse is the try it part. It's, it's almost like God saying, Come here, hey, check out how big my bicep is. That, that, it is. It's, like, it's almost like he's saying, hey, um, bring me something heavy. I want to lift it. You know, I want to show you how strong I am. Like, that's a crazy thing for God to say because nowhere else in the Bible does it say for you to test God like this. But this one, he's like, hey, this paradox right here, I know it's a hard one. I know it's a hard one. Try it. Just try it. I, it's like God telling you he's going to come through. Like you try this out and I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to move on your behalf. You're going to see it. I love that. I love that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But here's the deal. Um, I have something to tell you. Uh, I'm going to sit down. Is that cool? It's hot up there. I don't know why it's hot up there. So I messed up and... Uh, possibly hurt you and the church. It's not something I did, it's something I didn't do. Don't freak out. My wife's like, what are you, gonna, what are you confessing right now? <laughs> For the past three years, three-ish, I have not taught on money, like at all. Um, and some of you are like, thank you. Um, but I made this mistake, and I'm gonna call it a mistake with the best of intentions and the best of motives. Don't you do that when you make mistakes? Right? It's, it, you, had, it, you did it for a good reason. And I wanted to do a good thing, but I did a foolish thing to get the good thing, and now I ended up with a bad thing. Some of you should write that down. No, this is about me, not you. Um, so here's my reason. I'll, I'll just tell you, here's my reason. Um, right now, right now, in this room, somebody's sitting here for, for the first time. Um, probably. I don't know for sure, masks and all. But somebody's sitting here for the first time. And here's how I imagine this going. Um, like... They, they get in, and maybe, maybe it's somebody you invited, right? Somebody you invited, and you've been praying for them, like, I mean, I, I hope they come to church. This is going to be awesome. And they finally do. They finally do. And maybe I just imagine, like, a husband or wife, like, coming in, and he's hesitant, and she's all excited. She's like, she's been praying, too, and here it is. He's get, he finally found a church, like, and maybe they fit that description, like a church for people who don't think church is them. This guy's coming in. He's like, church is not for me, but I'll try it. Okay, honey. And uh, they come in, and they meet some people who aren't crazy. You know, and they're like, hey, these people, like, they kind of look a little bit, it's some Browns fans here, like me too, you know, and they kind of feel like, okay, awesome, awesome, step one, and, and the wife's kind of looking, like, how's he doing, how's he doing? Come in, and the music, hey, it's not a bunch of people singing with hymns where their face doesn't match the thing they're saying, right? Like, it's actually, like, engaging, and there's lights, and there's fog, maybe too much, but, like, it's, it's something, right? It's something. 
And, and again, I would say, awesome. And then pastor gets up and talks about money. Not awesome. And here's what I imagine happening. The whole time she's been looking at him, now she's, she's going to do this and he's going to be the one. See? See? They just want our money. That's all it is. This is just a religious racket. They just want our money. That's all this is. And then here's the thing that gets me choked up. Like, I think about her, like, <laughs> like her heart just dropping, and she knows what's coming because they walk out to the car. He opens the door, and he says the sentence, we are never doing that again. And he doesn't mean mosaic. He means church, period. And that's it. And uh, I don't want that. <laughs> I desperately don't want that. So that's been my motivation. A good one, right? Thank you. Thank you for giving me a pass. (laughs) But at the same time, here's the problem. Like, I kind of underestimate God a little bit, right? I believe God can work. I believe God can actually speak through me. And I'm kind of underestimating that he can do some things here too. That maybe he can give me a way to say it that's not make it sound like we're a bunch of thieves trying to run some kind of racket. By the way, look around. We're not. Uh, (laughs) We're sitting in a rented room. Uh, So here's the thing. Two two negative outcomes of this. Uh, Number one. Uh, I have, in a way, possibly, stolen a blessing from you by not teaching this properly. Um, if, if it's true that it's more blessed to give than receive, if it's true that, man, God's pulling back the curtain here saying, hey, come here, check this out. When you give, this is what happens. If that's true, then me not teaching this properly has maybe hurt you. Now, it's not for sure because I could teach it and you can do whatever you want with it, right? Uh, it's on you, though, the moment I bring this truth out. Um, but I just want to say, I'm sorry. I should have taught this better. I should have, I should have figured out a way um, and, and prayed this through a little bit more rather than just saying, I want to steer away from this because I don't want that to happen. I, I should have. I should have. And then the second thing, I'm going to get up. The second thing, uh, the church itself suffers. Uh, we are underfunded. I mean, whoa. See, and now we're going to... Hello? Yes. Okay, good. I knew that was risky. What was I talking about? How little money we have? Okay. It's true. For the size church we are, uh, for the size dreams we have, for the mission that I believe God has given us, uh, we are. Um, Actually, I think you'd be impressed with how much we do with how little we have. (laughs) I do. I'm weirdly proud of it. Um, but it's still not good. We try to squeeze every last bit of mission out of every last dollar. And I intend to, to keep doing that no matter what. Um, but it'd be nice to have more dollars to squeeze more mission, if that makes sense. Um, and you know, um, maybe you don't. You, sh- you should. I should be talking about this more. Uh, for us, like our church's budget, you know, our salaries are at the top. Rent is second. For us, third place on the budget list is outreach. Last year, not this year, this year, nothing's happened. But our intent is to spend more money on outreach than any other ministry, that we're going to try and be out in the community sharing the love of Jesus with as many people as possible. That's third on the list. Um, and that's our heart. That's our heart. We want to go where the people are. We want to go where the people are. We want to spend money to do it. So we put our money where our mouth is uh, at this church. We just need more. So I used to think about this differently. Um, do you remember the, movie, the Bad Boys movies? I don't remember which one it was. You know, uh, Will Smith, Martin Lawrence. I'm going to quote that movie, um, <laughs> Money Sermon. Um, so this, this drug dealer is, is in his house in the attic where he keeps all his piles of money. You remember this scene? Uh, and there's, there's mice that have infiltrated somehow the attic, and their mice are eating the money. 
And the drug lord turns to his lackey and says, this is a problem. It's a stupid problem to have, but it is a problem. And that's how I used to think about money. That line always pops into my head. This is a stupid problem to have. It's a problem, but it's a stupid problem to Because we serve the God of the universe who has everything. Like, what a dumb problem for us to have to not have enough money. Um, but now, I, as I've been thinking about this and praying about this more, um, I realize it's something else. It's, it's something deeper. If it's true, again, that there's this connection between what we do in the physical and what happens in the spiritual, we don't just have a money problem, we have a spiritual problem, right? This is, this is a little deeper than just green pieces of paper. This is a heart thing. We gotta get this straight. Now, and, and, and I think the other, what, what trips me up um, because God doesn't just bless you through generosity, right? So, so I just got done telling you, hey, I believe that, that when you give in the physical, something happens in the spiritual. That something gets activated over here when you give in the physical. I believe that. Um, but I don't just believe that God blesses you through your generosity. I believe God builds his kingdom through your generosity. God blesses other people through your generosity. When the tabernacle and the temple get built in the Old Testament, God could have just come down and said, boom, there it is. But he didn't. He worked through the generosity of his people and they participated in what he was doing on the earth. God works through the generosity of his people. That's just the way he does things. And I guess what I'm saying uh, is I would hate that the limiting factor of this church <laughs> would be our generosity level. Wouldn't that be lame that that would be the thing that holds, what a ridiculous thing to be the one thing that holds us back, right? Like, hey, do they have passion for God's mission? Yes, we do. We, we have passion for that. Hey, um, do they, they blast through tradition and comfort to do whatever God's called them to do? We do, man. We will, we will punch through anything. We don't, we don't care about that stuff. Do they strive to do things with excellence and skill and, and really care about that? Man, yeah, we are all about that. Do they have enough money? No. <laughs> well, that's dumb. What a dumb, what a dumb thing to hold us back. And I actually was thinking about it. Uh, I think uh, Satan and his minions are scared of that. What if Mosaic gets a hold of generosity? That's what I was starting to think about. Whew. Man, look out. So, been very ethereal and up in the air, up in concept uh, and ideas so far, and that's easy. Um, let, me, let me drop it down to the ground here and, and talk to you about your generosity. This is the part um, that I get nervous about. So let me give the, let me move some stuff. Let me give a disclaimer. Um, if you're here for the first time or you're not a Christian, um, you're good, just relax. Um, matter of fact, let me say this, let me say this way. Um, if you're the husband sitting next to the wife, don't give her the look yet, hear me out. Can you give me a chance? Hear me out. Um, so if you're not giving, like if, if, if you, whatever your income is, if, if your generosity, if your, if your charitable giving like is at zero and you go to the tax people and they say, hey, it's like, what'd you give away this year? And you're like, eh, like none, um, okay. Um, or if it's, it's a little number, if it's a little number. Um, I got, I, I'm gonna guess four reasons. I got four. There might be more, I just went down. Number one, you're not a Christian. Just, you just might not be a Christian, um, and that's cool. Why would, you, why would you be generous, at least towards spiritual things, if you're not a Christian? Two, uh, you're, you're new or newer here, and uh, you're still feeling things out to see if we're crazy. Fair enough, fair enough. Three, uh, maybe, you, maybe you 
are a Christian and you do call Mosaic home, um, but you don't know, like, either that you should give or how much you should give. And that's a fair thing. I, I just want to say, I'll own that because I didn't teach it properly. Maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know. You tell me, man. And I'm like, I should have told you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then number four, you do know. You do. You go here. You are a Christian. You know. And your reason is that you actually don't believe God when he says he's going to bless you. And I just want to say, I get it. This is a scary thing. I think that's why God said to try it. But that's a, those, are, those are the four possible reasons why you would say, I don't give or I give very little. So let me address each one individually. If you're not a Christian, we don't want your money. So if you're sitting here saying, I don't trust Jesus, I'm just kind of here checking things out, man, I do, we do not want your money. Um, we want something for you, not from you. We want something for you, not from you. We are here. Um, I, man, I hope you can stay and like listen and decide, man, wonder what it is, what is it about these people, man? They really do believe like this, this God, they really believe about this Jesus guy. Like I hope that you can stay and, and, and that God will work in your heart. I hope you're, you're open to that. We want something for you, not from you. Um, second, if you're like newer to Mosaic, but like you're, you're a Christian, um, I get it, man. Check things out. Ask questions. I know you got to like wait like how many months before they pass around the Kool-Aid that I don't want to drink, right? Like I, I get it. Like fig- figure it out. You, you do your thing. You, you, you do the right, because that's smart. You don't, just, you don't just start giving money to somebody you don't like that. I get it. I get it. Um, now, if you are a Christian and Mosaic is, is it, this is your home church. Like this is the place where, where, where you worship God. This is the place that's supposed to be like your church family. Your kids get served here. You get to worship here and hear God's word he taught here. Um, if that's you uh, and you don't give very much or you give uh, a little, um, maybe you're, you have the question, okay then, man, what am I supposed to do? What, what you, tell, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Um, if... I guess here's my disclaimer. The moment you ask the question, you better be ready for the answer because <laughs> you know then you're accountable for the thing you know. So plug your ears. I'm just kidding. Don't plug your ears. Um, now, if you grew up in church, if you grew up in church, I know what some of you are thinking, oh, I know, what the, I know the answer to this. It's the tithe, right? The, the people use that word, that tithe word. Um, and uh, if you don't know what a tithe is, a tithe uh, is... Uh, 10%, that's what the, the word actually means. So it'd be 10% of, your, uh, of what God has given you, you give back to him. And it's an important distinction to remember, right? That God gave you everything. Shoot, the Bible even says God gave you the ability to make money. And then, then from what he gives to you, you take 10% of that and you give it back to him. Now, I'm gonna go a little theological here, try to follow me. There's some argument inside of Christianity about this. I don't know if you're up with the... Uh, cool controversies inside of Christianity. I know they're super fun to watch. You can just get on Twitter and just watch them roll. Um, This one's not hot right now, but there is a discussion as to whether 10% is uh, actually for us. So the place where you get 10% in the Bible, if you're just reading the Bible saying, hey, how much should I give? You're going to find 10% in the Old Testament, okay? It's in the Old Testament law. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. Um, that was actually what the Malachi verse, that Malachi 3.10 that we, t- we just read, that's what that verse is about. He says, bring this tithe, that 10%, bring it in here. I'm going to open up the gates of heaven for you. Um, but here's the deal. The, the Old Testament law, that, those 613 laws, that's the same law that we believe Jesus fulfilled, right? We, we believe Jesus fulfilled that. So, so we eat bacon, right? right? We don't sacrifice bulls anymore. And the argument would be, we don't have to tithe anymore either. 
Okay, so, so and, and I follow that logic and I even want to say, okay, yeah, fair, fair, fair point um, on that. But if I, if I was going to play theological tennis with somebody, you ever done that? Like, oh, the Bible says this. No, actually, what about this verse? You know, you ever do that? So, so if you were going to say, uh, you know, if somebody says tithe, you say, no, that was, you know, it was the Old Testament. So what I would hit back to you would be, yeah, but you know what? 10% predated the law. Um, two places, let me give an example. Abraham gave the, uh, 10% of the spoils of this battle to this priest called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek represented Jesus. Like every theologian you ask, like Melchizedek is supposed to be like this Jesus figure in the Old Testament. So Abraham gives him 10%. Uh, Jacob, Abraham's descendant, promised God 10% when he was stuck in the wilderness and needed to get out of trouble. God, I'll do whatever. It's just, I'll give you 10%. Just help me out of this. And, and like, it actually does happen. Um, so I just wanted you to know, like the 10%, it, it's there. The number, you're going to find it in, in various places in the Bible. I think the real problem is how are we asking the question, what does God want me to do with my money? What's the attitude of the heart? Are we really going to ask God, if we're being honest, are we really going to ask him, hey, what's the least amount I can give so that you do that blessed thing, the blessed thing, you know, that thing that he was talking about? Are we really going to, like, do you think God's going to have a man, I can't wait to pour out upon this person? You know what I'm saying? Um, what's the attitude? What's, what's the genuine attitude of your heart when it comes to this subject? So here's the deal. I'm not going to hedge. I'll just, I've debated on this. I'm like, man, why am I, I don't, I'm usually pretty direct, but I feel like I want to hedge on this one. Um, but if you just ask me, Adam, t tell me what your opinion is. What do you think about giving today, right now, 2020? You know, I know the Old Testament, all that stuff. What do you think? I would tell you, I think if you asked, if you said, uh, how much should I give? How generous should I be? And you locked yourself in the closet with a Bible and you just read it cover to cover looking for that answer, um, I really believe you'd have a hard time coming up with a number less than 10%. Um, and here's why, because man, anytime, so you, you, if you're familiar with the gospels, when Jesus talks, like he'll say, you have heard it said, but I say, remember that part in the Bible where he's like, Hey, you've heard it said, don't lust. I say like, cut your hand off, you know, stuff like that. Um, you've heard it say like, you know, and, and he always, when he does the, you have heard it say thing, he takes what was, and he like raises the bar. It's a crazy thing. Jesus actually makes it quote unquote harder, um, because he's really after this. So I would say, hey, for, for, and I'll just own it. I'll, I, I, will, I wanna be transparent with you even though it's awkward and maybe you'll think I'm bragging, I'm not. Um, since my wife and I have been married, we've given 10% of our, of our income away. Um, and, and, and this is living in my parents' basement, eating Easy Mac every single night, um, dreaming about maybe one day owning a cardboard box of our own. You know, like that's the, that was the level we were at when we started, but we have consistently kept this uh, and I just want you to know, uh, you know, in the old timey preachers, I, can I get a witness? I'll, I'll be a witness. All the verses I just read, they're true. They're true. I've never, I, I can't even begin to like express to you how blown away I am at how much God has blessed us uh, in that we have been faithful and faithful. And he just, it, it is, really is, it just feels like we're just like, okay, God, stop. And he just keeps pouring it back and we just keep having to fight the stream. He is that good. He is that good. And I don't tell you that to brag. Don't be like, oh, preacher, I, I do, actually, I do want you to know that I give. I want you to know that. Uh, we lead by example here. Ask, you know, anybody in leadership, this is an important thing. Generosity is an important thing here. Uh, so here's our, here's our value that we're talking about today. So we've been, this, this sermon series we're currently in is called Bloodlines. We're talking about our values here as a church. Uh, we practice 
radical generosity. We serve a radically generous God. The term stingy Christian is an oxymoron. We see generosity as a privilege. We know God's MOs work through the generosity of his people. We get to be a part of what God is doing when we are generous with our time, talents, and treasure. God has given us all good things. It's our honor to give back to him. See, I believe, I really believe that God wants to do like big things through this church. I really do. Um, I actually, I believe it so much that I get surprised when like it hasn't happened yet. How weird is that? Like I'm still like, man, I, I feel like something's gonna happen. I'm like, oh yeah, it hasn't happened yet. Like I really believe God wants to do some amazing things here. But if, if God has given us a big mission, a big purpose, we're gonna have to match it with some big generosity. We are. We're gonna have to get better at this. So here's the thing that kept popping into my mind as I was uh, preparing this week. You ever, <laughs> it's a weird thing. You ever seen the movie Schindler's List? It's old. I'm really dating here. Um, but the, the idea is, um, this, it's a story about this businessman who owned a factory in German-occupied Poland. A real, real uplifting thing. This is not a, ver- a movie you watch when you're like eating dinner together. Just, you know, it's, it's a little visceral. Uh, it's hard to watch uh, World War II Nazi Germany. Uh, and he starts off, so this guy, uh, his last name Schindler, starts off use, using a Jewish workforce in his factory. Actually, he starts off from practical reasons. It was cheap. He's making money. Um, and then as he kind of gets into it, he realizes how horrible Nazi Germany is being to the Jews. And he realizes, oh my gosh, they're, they're just killing these people. So then it goes from, I use the Jews to... Uh, make money. Now I'm, now I'm bringing as many Jews as I possibly can to this factory just to protect them. He, he, he brought, he, so he was taking a loss, bringing all these workers in just to keep them out. Because if they were out there, they were in the gas chambers in his factory, they were safe. So he just kept bringing as many people in as he could. And um, the end of the movie, the very end of the movie, uh, it's Liam Neeson who is, who is Schindler. And he's having this conversation with the guy, I think his name's Stern, Stern. Uh, and all these Jews that he had saved are standing around and it's the end of the war and he's telling them, hey, you're free, free. Um, you're not gonna be killed now. Uh, but he's having this conversation with Stern, kind of with, with an audience. All these eyes are on him. And uh, Stern gives him this ring and he's like thanking him, saying, you, you saved our lives. And... Uh, Liam Neeson like takes the ring and you can kind of see his face start to change Um, and he starts to argue with him he says I could have done more I could have done more and and Stern's like there are 1100 people standing around here that have life because there's going to be generations of people who ripple out from what you did and they're kind of arguing and and Schindler just breaks down and and he he he, he, you can kind of get this panic feel. He walks over to his car and he goes, with this right here, I could have saved 10 more people if I would have sold this car. Why did I keep this car? He uses like this torture and, and he pulls out like this pin from his coat. He said, I could have saved two more with this. He pulls out some gold trinket. I could have saved one more with this. And you just see this frenzy and he's watching all these people who he'd saved and he just breaks down and starts bawling, thinking, man, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have done more. And that, for me, that's what I think about here. I think about Mosaic and and how much we can do, how much uh, in the spiritual that God has called us to reach people, how much we can do if we get this right. 
And I get choked up thinking, man, I don't want to get to the end going, we could have done more. Like, I, I want to leave it all on the field. I want to cross the finish line, crawling, fall across it and be like, that was all I had, Lord. That was all I had. That's, that's what I want. And that's what I, I want for you as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the worship team. You guys can come on back up. And um, I guess I want to put it to you. I want to put it to you. If this is your church and, and this, is, this is it for you, I want you to think about your, your generosity. I know there's all kinds of extenuating circumstances, there's all kinds of stuff, but I want you to, this is between you and God. I don't know what you give, just so you know, I don't. I don't know what anybody gives. I know what I give, that's it. Um, so I can't pick you out and be like, you, you need to work on this. <laughs> That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Um, some churches, that would be the case, but I don't know. But I want, you, I want you to take this home, have a conversation. If you have a spouse, have a conversation with them. Talk about this. Hey, what does God want us to do here? Genuinely. Don't ask it with that weird chip on your shoulder. Ask the question, what does God want us to do here? And again, remember, I, here's, a, here's the thing. This is what's funny. I, I really believe that God will, God will move in this. I believe that when he pulled back that curtain, that all this is true. So for me, I'm, I'm excited to see for you to have this conversation. Be like, man, what, I can't wait to see what God does in your life. I genuinely can't wait to see how he moves. If you can get a hold of this thing, I can't. Pray with me. Jesus. Um, I, I'm sorry for not doing this like I should have. I know this is pleasing to you. I want to I be bold and do what you've called me to do, Lord. So forgive me for not leading like I should have in this area. And I pray for everybody here, Lord. I pray for that person who's newer, who's sitting here going, nice, this is my first time. Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart and, and help them to see that this isn't, it's not the way it feels but they would be drawn back anyways. I pray for the person right now who's sitting here whose heart's still a little hard, that they could even, they could even feel the hardness around their heart going, I don't like this. And Lord, I pray that you would move there as well. I pray for, for um, the bravery to jump, Lord, the bravery to try your, your bicep on this thing, the bravery to try your strength on this thing, to jump out and say, we're gonna be generous and then watch you work. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself. I pray that you would, you would do it in a way that's so obvious that the people who experienced it would be just overwhelmed with gratitude that they got to experience you moving. In Jesus' name I pray.